Unique yet common sense opinions on sports. This is Jeff Allen Sports Talk. Coming up on this week's show, we will talk to Vince Catronio. He is one of the voices of the Oakland A's, a proud UCF alum. And he will join us from Anaheim, California to talk about the A's. And we'll do a little reminiscing about UCF as well. Meanwhile, speaking of UCF, one of their brethren in the American will soon no longer be brethren as UConn is going back to the Big East. News broke over the weekend and uh, everybody signed off on it. At least everybody but the American. The American is definitely bidding them adieu, but uh, still things to be worked out as far as the win and how much moolah is going to be uh, part of the process as that goes. UConn certainly is not a loss in football. A one-win team a year ago. Uh, this move primarily for the basketball programs with the Huskies going back to their Big East roots, although they're not going back to a Big East that was truly the Big East. Uh, you know, I think the Big East in the current stage and the American are very equal. I would, you know, maybe a little bias. think is the, the American's a little bit better because you look at the program's uh, with uh, Houston as the bell cow, Cincinnati, Memphis is on the rise under Penny Hardaway, Wichita State. Um, by the way, Wichita State, I think, has already become UConn's replacement in the league as they were, uh, you know, they don't have a football program, but they joined the American for all all other sports. And, you know, even though they had a down year this year, they got strong at the end and got into the NIT and, you know, and they won't be down long. They'll be they'll be a power again in the American and UCF. Although we've lost a lot with B.J. Taylor and Aubrey Dawkins and Taco Fall, Chad Brown, Deion Griffin, uh, Terrell Allen, uh, they've done a lot of a lot of maneuvering and getting some good transfers in. Uh, and you know, if you saw what Johnny Dawkins did in his first season when he basically had six guys and they made an NIT Final Four. I wouldn't close the door on the Knights just yet. But UConn's going to a, a parallel league right now as far as basketball is concerned. And uh, it's all about the hoops for them. And schools have got to do what they got to do. Fan base wants it. And uh, that's the way the story goes. Meanwhile, as far as who would replace UConn in the American, as I said, I think Wichita State's already going to fill the void for basketball. And I think... The, the Americans should not be in a rush and not pick a team just to pick a team. There's some certainly interesting teams out there, uh, but you also got to think a little bit more than just football. I mean, that's going to be the primary thing because you know they want to get football into the upper echelon to be actually you know in the conversation, not just you know the periphery of the conversation of a national championship. Uh, again, I think it's okay to be at 11 for a little bit until you make make the right call and see what else might shake out as far as that is concerned. Happy to have Vince Contronio, one of the play-by-play voices of the Oakland A's and a proud UCF alum. Join us from Anaheim, California, where the A's are set to kick off a weekend series with the Los Angeles Angels. Vince, thanks for your time. Anytime, Jeff. Glad to do it. Always, always love talking about a uh, uh, city that's very, very dear to my heart. 
Absolutely. So coming off a 2018 wildcard berth, Oakland currently six and a half out in the AL West, just two games out in the wildcard. How would you assess where they stand as we've hit the halfway point of the season? Well, I'll tell you this. Uh, if you're going to do some scoreboard watching on June 27th, your head's going to explode. I mean, there's <laughs> a lot of teams that are involved right now. and Tampa Bay has, has come back to the pack for, for the wild card. The Astros have come to the pack, back to the pack, as far as the American League West is concerned. I mean, on this Thursday, they've lost. The Rangers have won. The lead is only four and a half games. We're at the beginning of the month, it was a, it was eight and a half over Texas and nine and a half over the Athletics. And so there's a lot of baseball to be played. The A's historically have been a team that's been known for their second half runs, including last year that got them into the postseason with 97 wins. And I think it's going to be an extremely interesting second half, not only for the athletics, but for a number of teams in the American League. Now, pitching will have to be navigated for Oakland. Uh, closer Blake Trainin's on the 10-day injured list, and Frankie Montas was lost to an 80-game PED suspension. So how do they look to overcome overcome that? Well, it's uh, the one thing they did last year, going through some injuries and a lot of changes in the rotation with double figures in the starting rotation was next man up. And certainly losing somebody like Montas, who was among the league leaders in wins in ERA and had a chance not only to be on the all-star team, but if the days had fallen right, he might have been able to start for the America League. He was having that kind of a first half. So that is, that's a significant blow. He's a good kid. Certainly made a you know the wrong decision, but he had he had matured and he had done a lot of things well, and now you've got this cloud over him, and he's not available basically for the rest of the year. Blake Trinan, who had a historic year, 2018 with an ERA less than one, and doing things that had never been done in Major League Baseball, and, and he's he has struggled a little bit, but right now Liam Hendricks has stepped up into the A's uh, ninth inning role, and uh, he's gotten a couple of saves minus Blake Trinan. So there there have been some things that the A's have been able to do to absorb it, but a long way to go, and Daniel Mignon threw the ball really well, closing out the series against the Cardinals, and again, next man up has got to get the job done. Your depth over 162 games is always tested, and the A's are going through that right now. With baseball's power surge, Oakland's a top-10 team in home runs. Matt Chapman leads the way with 19, six players in double figures. What are your theories on the hefty increases with the home run ball this year? I think they're playing with a Titleist, to be honest with you. <laughs> it, it, it does seem like the ball is, is harder, and it's designed to go further. There's less drag on the baseball. Combination of that and the players are bigger and they're stronger. They're, they're taught now to uh, change the angle of their swings, to have more loft. They're, they're taught to hit the ball in the air as opposed to swing down on the ball, especially with shifts on the infield. It, 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 it tends to push players to, to think more and more ways to hit it over the shift, and in many cases – over the wall. It really is a different game now in 2019, Jeff, with the, the three true outcomes as they talk about, home runs and walks and strikeouts, and it's predominant each and every night around baseball, not just for the athletics, but for, you know, all the teams. Minnesota leading the American League in home runs. I mean, that kind of out of nowhere. Uh, Seattle has been uh, among the league leaders in home runs as well. The Yankees currently uh, on a stretch of uh, historic proportions with homering in 29 consecutive games, so I mean, the home run is here to stay. It's something that I don't know how they asked to get away from that, but that's the way the teams attack right now, and you see an awful lot of it. So with the A's taking on the Angels this weekend, you see a lot of Mike Trout. Can you tell all those folks on the East Coast who don't get to see very much of him, what makes him such a great player? Well, he's just a tremendous talent. I mean, this is a guy that's you know, two-time MVP, finished 
second four times. He's been an all-star every year he's been in the league. He's a rookie of the year. And the thing I've been about Mike is that he is he's taken a part of his game and he's improved upon it each and every year. I mean, there was a time when he led the league in strikeouts with 184. And as we get ready to play on June 27th, basically at the halfway point of 2019, he struck out 61 times. I mean, it, it's uncanny what, what he has been able to focus on and, and, and elevate his game to even uh, a, a higher level if that's possible. He's a, he's a plus defender. His arm was something that had been discussed as maybe average at best. He's gotten better at that gotten better on his jumps on the baseball. He's an excellent base runner, and certainly he's a threat every time he comes to the plate. And the other thing, too, that maybe folks on the East Coast are not aware of with Mike Trout, he, he really is the face of baseball, and it, he does it in such a quiet, unassuming way. We see it all the time here in Anaheim where he's behind home plate during batting practice, taking lots of pictures, signing lots of autographs. He does it without fanfare. There was a lot of discussion from uh, the upper – of Major League Baseball with the commissioner saying, I wish you know Mike Trout did more. Well, he does plenty. And this is a guy that just by being Mike Trout has really uh, engaged the young fans, which is something Major League Baseball is trying to do a better job of. And I can't really think of a better guy right now in baseball than Mike Trout doing all those things and being the kind of talent that he is on the field. The A's just recently concluded a couple of series with Tampa Bay. Both teams very similar, trying to land new stadiums. Where do things stand with the Oakland Stadium plan at Howard Terminal at the Port of Oakland? Well, Jeff, they're, they're much further along than, than where the, the race situation is, and certainly with their news in the past week or so about trying to split a major league season between two cities, which is you know unheard of and, and really unrealistic. But that's where they stand right now. The A's have been very aggressive. Uh, their ownership under John Fisher, the new team president the past couple of years, Dave Cavill. Uh, they both have been you know, out front and uh, very open about their desires to have a privately financed stadium. And right now the place is uh, you know, a waterfront ballpark at Jack London Square. And that's what they're looking for. There's a lot of steps that have to, to fall into place, especially when you're in California. Environmental uh, in, you know, situations, you've got to deal with purchasing the land. You've got to deal with being able to develop the property around a stadium because teams that privately uh, develop properties like this, they can't just do it based on the stadium. You have to have entertainment, housing, uh, restaurants uh, around those facilities to, to make it really work to, to drive drive traffic, not just for the 81 games plus if you're fortunate to get to the postseason. So it's a, it's a full-time endeavor. The A's are still hopeful that 2023 they'll be in the new ballpark. Uh, they've got a lot of uh, interesting designs in the ballpark. Fans have been involved with this. The hope is that the shovel goes in the ground in 2021. Legislature really for the first time is behind it. They've passed several bills that have worked in, in the A's favor uh, on a state level. The local city and county commissioners and the, and the local mayor, Libby Schaaf, have been 100% behind this project. So it's still just, uh, there's a lot of things that have to be put in place for what to truly happen, but it, it's the closest it has really ever been in my 14 years there, probably even decades before that. Coliseum is aging. Uh, it doesn't have uh, the amenities that all other ballparks have, which help attract fans and help attract major league talent because you you got a chance to you know to drive up your attendance. You've got a chance for players to have better clubhouse conditions, better, better uh, workout facilities at their ballpark, which are all factors now for players when they make uh, determinations on where they wait, where they may want to go as a free agent, and the A's have got to get into that arena 
to reach that next level. They're not going to be the Yankees or the Red Sox or the Dodgers in terms of spending, but it will open up an opportunity for them to do a lot more than, than what they do now with such a small payroll that they really squeeze every last dollar they can out of what they're trying to accomplish. And you mentioned the Rays idea, and I haven't, not, I've yet to hear anyone say it's a great idea. I mean, they would be better off trying to, you know, share a team with Orlando or, or you know, combine with Miami or something, <laughs> to me, uh, trying to split between, you know, two different countries even is kind of ludicrous. I think it's, you know, it, it just kind of came out of nowhere. And, you know, somebody that grew up in Central Florida and, and, and seeing that project begin with Vaughn Hayes taking fly balls on, on the concrete, inside that facility trying to see if they could play baseball there back in the 90s. <laughs> uh, the, the, always, the feeling always was that it had to be somewhere closer to the I-4 corridor on the Tampa side. And once they make the de- they made the decision to go across the bridge to St. Petersburg, they really kind of, they uh, you know, they signed a warrant for, for lack of success because people on the other side of the bridge just do not want to make that commitment to go over there to watch baseball. And it almost eliminates the, the whole Orlando market. I always felt like if they were closer to the, you know, to the I-4 area around Tampa, uh, would have enabled them to draw Tampa, St. Petersburg, Orlando, Ocala, and a lot of other places as well, and really could have made them, uh, you know, a, a team for the northern, central and northern part of the state, and right now, they're, I think they're, they're isolated where they are, and, and the, the attendance reflects it, which is unfortunate, because their front office does a tremendous job in finding talent and, de- and developing talent. And, and doing a good job with what they have to, to be a team that's very tough to play, especially in St. Petersburg. Well, you mentioned the 90s. I, that's the last time you and I connected as you were starting your major league broadcast career with the Houston Astros, and we had begun carrying Astros games at WGTO at that time. Would you have believed it back then if someone told you the Astros would be in the American League West? <laughs> well, it's crazy. I mean, it, you know, I, I, I certainly didn't see it. I, back when I was with the Astros, the complaint was, you know, here's a team that's two time zones away from the National League West. And I always heard TV ratings and heard, you know, radio ratings because you're playing the Dodgers, which is great. I mean, there was some rivalry there, but you lost out on the Cardinals and you lost out on the Cubs, which are more centrally located and more geographically desirable for where the, where the Astros are. And then they, you know, they make the shift with the Diamondbacks and the Astros. And suddenly it's, you know, it's Houston now in the American League and in the American League West. And they have the same complaints now you know, in the American League that they had in the National League, where it's tough for them and for the Rangers to get, you know, viewership and listenership, especially in the games on the West Coast. And but to me, I think long-term, the best thing to do is to, is to realign everything geographically and blow up the American League and the National League as we know it and allow teams on the West Coast to play each other more and more and develop those rivalries, not just Giants-Dodgers, but, you know, A's-Giants, uh, A's-Dodgers, A's-Angels, you know, more Padres opportunities, uh, same thing in the central part of the, of the country and on the eastern side of the country. I and mean, I think that lends itself geographically. It, it lends itself travel-wise. It certainly helps the uh, you know the, the players with, with their travel patterns, their sleep patterns, and the ability to play this game at a high level under difficult circumstances. But will that happen in the near future? I'm not sure. But I, I think they've been more open to uh, the opportunity of, of looking at things that, to, to make this a more enjoyable sport to make it a sport that more and more people want to come on out and watch. You've got to work with some legends in in, in baseball broadcasting, late great Milo Hamilton in Houston, Eric Nadell in Dallas with the Rangers. How have they helped shape your career? Well, I mean, you know, Milo accomplished a lot in his time before I got there in 1991, and uh, I was always impressed with his 
his energy. I was always impressed with his enthusiasm on a you know a day in a day out basis, and I was impressed with with the you know the amount of work that he put in behind the scenes, the amount of of uh, book work that he had done was legendary, and I, I had done my own share of that, and and through Bill Brown as well, it was part of that you know that broadcast crew. I I learned a lot about how he did his book work, and I, I still do a lot of things that I did back in 1991. I learned a lot about the game on the field from Larry Durker as you know one of the uh, color commentators at that time before he became manager of the club. And you know, with Eric, it was just a much it was a much different scenario in Texas. Very laid back. Uh, certainly very professional and, 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 and very understanding of how important it is to have communication with the players, with the coaches, with managers, with scouts, you know, even with umpires. Those are all things that I, I, can, I continue to develop from, from the minor league days and brought to the big leagues. I still believe that's an important part of how you do your job on a daily basis because I think you are, you're learning something about this game each and every day, and there are people that have been in the game that are a lot smarter than I am that I – uh, lean on quite a bit about certain situations and, and asking about patterns or asking about strategies and things of that nature. I think it, it, it lends itself to baseball on the radio. It, it, it lends itself to really being the talking sport that baseball is. And very fortunate that I was around, you know, especially Brownie and Eric. Those who got those guys are very helpful to me. And, uh, I still use a lot of things to this day. Well, as we mentioned, you are a proud UCF alum. How amazing is it to be a Knight, a football team that's now on the national stage, a basketball program that had a breakthrough year in the NCAA tournament, getting a win, almost upsetting Duke in the second round. Has to be a treat to watch as someone who went to UCF and covered UCF sports in its younger days. No question. Uh, you know, I was there in 1979 when you know they beat St. Leo 55 to nothing. My buddy Dave Baczynski was doing the play-by-play of that game, and then the rest of us split up some of the rest of the games of that inaugural uh, 1979 season with Don Jonas and you know we had just a great camaraderie of people that worked at the college radio station you know, WUCF at that time there were people that were passionate about sports like myself and Dave and, and Dave Miller and Marty Fisher and some others and people that were passionate about the music side of things uh, people that were passionate about the engineering people that were passionate about the news I mean it was just it was just a great collection of, of people that didn't know any better except to try to work hard and have some fun and you know, and the true sense of college radio and then you know, I, I worked in the athletic department at a time when uh, you know, Lou Saban came on board as the head football coach to try to bring uh, the program to a you know more of a national stage and that continued the process. Jay Bergman who was the baseball coach at the time when I was there is uh, instrumental in why I'm sitting where I am today. He helped me get my first full-time minor league job the Lynchburg Mets back in 1984 before that our college radio station did some part-time games with the Orlando Twins with Tom Kelly. And, you know, when Tom, you know, went on to, you know, to manage two World Series teams with the Minnesota Twins, he never let me forget that as well. So it allowed me to build some great memories. And I tell you, for a guy that, that was around when the school was about twelve or 13,000 students that sit on my couch during the winter in Phoenix, Arizona, at 9 o'clock in the morning and turn on ESPN and see UCF play Penn State or Michigan or somebody else in the AAC, it's a, it's a you know, it's a great thrill. I went to the... Fiesta Bowl in 2010 with my son when they beat Baylor. Uh, you know, I've you know, watched them intently. You know, throughout times I talked to Bo Clark this past offseason. He wrote a book about his dad, and I explained to him about how influential his dad was to us and how he treated us. You know, with respect. And a bunch of crazy students just trying to do basketball play by play, and he helped us learn the game and learn the sport and learn his intensity. And just you know, there's nothing but but wonderful memories for my time at UCF. 
And think about the contrast, that first game against St. Lou in a muddy field to a camp, an on-campus stadium that seats 45,000. That's pretty incredible. Yeah, you know, I, I went back to uh, I went back to the to the uh, to the campus for the first time in decades uh, two years ago. Greg Lovelady's uh, first season with the uh, with the baseball program, and he was honoring Jay Bergman on opening night there. So I wanted to fly in for Phoenix and surprise Jay because, like I said, I wouldn't be where I am with, with, without his influence. And uh, I literally <laughs> I literally drove on campus and I stopped by the campus police department and say, look. You know, this is three baseball fields ago. Where where's the baseball stadium these days? <laughs> they had a they had a point me in the right direction. You know, around this winding road through the trees, and then you see the stadiums and you know all the great facilities they've got there now. It's it's an up and coming program. I'm extremely proud to be a UCF alum and, and see the way they they've grown in, in so many ways, and not only uh, you know, athletically, but the way they've grown academically as well, and the kind of imp- you know footprint that the UCF has on on the Orlando community and certainly on the national stage. And uh, you got another night in the A's family. Bo Taylor got his first big league home run this year and got another one last night. So I'm sure you're enjoying seeing that, not just for him, but he's making some nice contributions. No question. We, we, we spent some time joking about those times. And, uh, in fact, he was on our postgame show last night uh, following uh, the victory against the Cardinals. And it just uh, I'm always happy to, to, to see the guys from UCF anytime that I, I run into some players on the major league level that, that play there, you know, Cody Allen was a part of it briefly when Jay Bergman recruited him, and he became a you know a star for Cleveland. I see other guys as well, like Eric Scotland, who was pitching for the Kansas City Royals. And there's several others that have that have uh, you know come through UCF. I always make sure I go shake their hands and explain that I I went to school there when the dinosaurs roamed the earth before they were born. So, uh, but it, but it means a lot that, that that the program in so many ways has grown. Well, I do have a personal Vince Catronio story, and it goes back to the Red Lobster Basketball Classic in the 80s. It was the holiday tournament. It was tied to the to the Citrus Bowl, and uh, WKIS hired you to call those games. And one of them, you got saddled with a rookie analyst named Jeff Allen who offered little to nothing in his first broadcast. So thankfully, you were there to do the heavy lifting, right? <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. The thing I remember about that was, uh, I'm sure you remember as well, Boston College was one of the teams in that, in that tournament, and I remember Dana Barrow just unloading one three-pointer after another, like pre-Steph Curry days, helping Boston College in that tournament. That's the one thing that that, that I remember the most about uh, getting the opportunity to do those games. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Vince, uh, best of luck to the A's the rest of the way. We certainly thank you for coming uh, on the program to talk about their season so far and uh, relive some UCF memories. Certainly appreciate it. Anytime. Glad to do it, Jeff. Thank you. And you know, when he, when he brought up the idea of the blowing up the American and National League and turning baseball much more regionally as far as where teams are grouped, I kind of liken that idea. <laughs> Thanks again to Vince for coming on the program. And College World Series, Vanderbilt is the champion as they uh, took two out of three over the Michigan Wolverines. Would have been great to see Florida State uh cap off the 40-year career of Mike Martin. Uh, wasn't meant to be as they just could not get their offense going at the College World Series in Omaha, but uh, Mike Martin Jr. now takes the helm there. And uh, we wish Mike Martin Sr. the best in his retirement and congratulate him on a great career. Also speaking of great careers, Bob Lee of ESPN is hanging it up after 40 years and uh He's the guy that really gave them their 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 journalism chops. And uh, 
way back when, when ESPN was celebrating their fifth anniversary, I got to interview Bob Lee uh, as part of uh, doing a show on WKIS at the time. And and he was just so gracious and, uh, you know, cut promos for us for... Uh, for for Chris Russo and and uh, just give us a, gave us a great interview and uh, this guy basically did it all you know he 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 you know was their lead guy on the early coverage of the NFL draft uh, tremendous coverage of the uh, the earthquake in the uh, in San Francisco during the World Series at that time he he was uh you know just his newsman chops came out. In a full display there, so terrific, uh, terrific there. I always, uh, wa- I watched a lot of the 6 p.m. Sports Center when he was on with uh, Charlie Steiner. <laughs> you know what a what a lineup ESPN had for Sports Center. The evenings they had Lee and Steiner, and they had uh, Dan Patrick and Keith Olbermann on the 11 o'clock. And I always used to enjoy. Uh, I always caught the six o'clock uh, uh, Sports Center when getting home from work. And um, it was always fun when Charlie Steiner would get a case of the giggles and Bob Lee would have to carry <laughs> carry the heavy burden there. Uh, but again, a great career. He was there from the beginning of ESPN as they uh, are about to be 40 years old. Just think about that. And, you know, there was a time, first of all, a 24-hour sports network back at the time when the concept was being put out there was, what? No, you don't, there's no way you can do it. But they, you know, they managed to get Australian rules football, use some, you know, regional wrestling and uh, exercise shows uh, just to kind of build and build and build. And, uh, you know, in those first few years, you know, there was a lot of a lot of concern whether the network would make it or not. But uh, here they are going strong 40 years later, maybe not as strong as there as a few years ago, because they are as well struggling with the ever changing media landscape and how social media and, and streaming is affecting how people consume things. But uh, it's still a big juggernaut. And again, Bob Lee, uh, congratulations on a terrific stellar career at ESPN. Well, hope you've enjoyed listening, and if you like what you hear, you're not a subscriber yet, please, jeffallensportstalk.com, click on the subscribe button. You can find the uh, podcast uh, player of your choice, whether it be Stitcher, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn. Uh, We're out there on all of them, so uh, please do subscribe. We certainly would appreciate you having us be, be a part of your week each and every week on the Jeff Allen Sports Talk podcast. And with that, we are done here. Thanks for listening to Jeff Allen Sports Talk. Follow Jeff on Twitter at Jeff Allen underscore 88, on Facebook at Jeff Allen 88, and the website JeffAllenSportsTalk.com. And you can reach out to the show anytime by email, JeffAllenSportsTalk at gmail.com. Jeff Allen Sports Talk is brought to you exclusively by Kramer's Salve for Dogs. 
Kramer Salve is a safe and natural approach to help your best friend live an itch-free life. It's made from the finest ingredients so it stops itching, heals hot spots, and painful inflamed skin. Kramer Salve contains a proprietary blend of neem, an ingredient known for its healing properties. A 4-ounce 6-month supply, including shipping, is just $30, and the 2-ounce 3-month supply, including shipping, is only $20. Help your dog end the itch and hot spot cycle. Order today at KramerSalve.net. That's K-R-A-M-E-R-S-A-L-V-E dot net.